0: And let's turn to the New Testament. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. I, I've been speaking to you uh, last week, or last two weeks, uh, dealing with a thought, and it goes back to where I believe God has us as a congregation, dealing with an awakening and a restoration and a movement of God. And, and last week, if you'll remember, I think we established that God will use an individual to create something big. You need a refresher on last week. Last week we were in Isaiah chapter 4 and we were talking about God's plan of reformation and God's plan of renewal and how He'll take individuals and uh, give them a vision and they will launch out and accomplish great things for God. When God needed to build an ark, He found a Noah. When God wanted to build a temple, He gave a vision to David. When David was unable to complete it, David was able to transfer it to Solomon. Solomon was able to complete the temple. When the temple was destroyed and it needed to be rebuilt, God found a Zerubbabel. When when God wanted to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, He found a Nehemiah. God's always been able to raise up an individual to do something great. Can I tell you what I see in this room? I see individuals who can do great things for God. I do not see weak people. I do not see defeated people. I don't see confused people. I don't see dysfunctional people. I see people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do great and mighty things. Now, until you can begin to see yourself as a mighty vessel of God, you're going to continue to hide in the wine press of your life and never step into your destiny. I don't want you to go to church. I want you to become the church. I want you to function as the church. I want you to live and breathe as a living organism of the power of a resurrected Christ. The shame would be for you to live your life on an ash heap of mediocrity because that's the standard that has been portrayed to you by the church. Don't let that set the standard. Raise the bar. Be greater than you've ever been. Now, to be greater than you've ever been, you have to accept a role that is contrary to culture. Does that make sense to you? Because culture doesn't want anybody to be really advert and and out there and aggressive and pursuing. They would rather you to be a conformist. We're never going to make a difference in America as long as we conform to the standards of culture. Somewhere we're going to have to swim upstream. Somewhere we're going to have to speak up when everybody else is quiet. Somewhere we're going to have to be aggressive when everyone else is passive. Does that make sense? What am I saying? I'm saying neutrality is not the standard for ministry. I'm not neutral because neutral means I can slide forward or I can slide backward based on pressing conditions. I have a focus. I'm resolute. I'm purpose-driven, and so are some of you. And the rest of you are going to line up with that because it's time to move. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll try not to be very long today because you've got stuff to do. But the dictionary defines a remnant as a small piece. In everyday life, I've learned with my wife dealing with sewing projects, remnants means there's a small piece of material left that's not large enough to accomplish the whole thing, but it's too big to throw away. Does that make sense? As a contractor, there are remnant materials that are left over after a construction project, and, and although they're not big enough to be the totality of something, they are worthy to save until you can get enough until you can get enough of them to do something with them. My father been in construction for 30 years. And if you've ever been in a contractor's barn. He had a 4,000 square foot barn packed full of what most people would throw away. But if you ask him, if you happen to need a three foot long two by six, he said, yes, son, over there, third rack over, up about two rows. And sure enough, once you cipher through his stacking, You could find exactly what you needed and multiple pieces of it. Why? Because most of us that have dealt with construction or sewing projects have the mentality, it may be small, but it can still be significant. Can I tell you what the Holy Ghost is trying to say in this house? You may be small, but you're significant. You may not have it all together, but you're significant. You may have been through some dysfunction, but you're significant. Why? Because God can bring a remnant and put it with another piece of remnant and make something so beautiful that it's tapestry in the eyes of God. I think somewhere we've got to get to the place where we believe God is the master of putting the tapestry together and He can take these little pieces that have been discarded by culture. Because some of you in this room were not accepted by culture. Some of you have not been accepted by your own family. Some have been kicked out and ostracized and pushed to the curb and said you're not good enough and you're not successful enough and you're not educated enough. i got news for you. My God and your God is a God of reconciliation. And He's a God of the restorer. And He'll take what's been kicked to the curb and put it to the rest of us and He'll make something beautiful. Hallelujah. I'm not what I used to be, glory. But I know He's still working on me. Why? Because God's always had a remnant. Sixty-five times. Let me work this out, okay? Sixty-five times in Scripture God makes reference to the remnant in history. Sixty-five times you say that's not all that significant. But every time God began to, to recreate and rebirth and awaken, He always had a remnant. He always had somebody that seemed discarded. And he'd raise them up out of that ash heap and he'd position them and put a drive in them and a mandate on them. And they would come out of some place that nobody thought they belonged to come out of. And they'd come out being a voice and they'd be anointed and they'd be used of God. I got news for you. Some people have been overlooked your whole life. You've been overlooked, you've been discarded, you've not been welcomed. i got news for you. There's an anointing coming in the last days that's going to raise up people out of ash heaps and bring them to the place of power, and he's going to use you like you've never dreamed. You've got to start seeing yourself as God sees you and not see yourself as your mama, your daddy, and your grandmama said you were. I need to read something or I'm going to get hijacked. Ooh, Glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to read one verse of Scripture. God's going to do big things. One verse of Scripture, verse 27. Do you see it? Chapter 1, verse 1, verse 27. Are you there? What's it say? But, uh uh-huh, but God. Can I preach from there? (laughs) But God. But God what? That's all you need to know. Huh? That's all you need to know. But God. But God what? Chose. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. But God. You know what makes you and I great? God. You know what makes us different than culture? God. You want you, you know what makes me happy? God. Because everything else is fleeting. Everything else is temporal. Everything else is nothing that is substantial but God. And when you look at your life, and I look at mine, and I look at the rearview mirror, and I see my past, I realize, had it not been for God, I certainly wouldn't be where I am. And I certainly can't become a voice of reformation until I understand God's at work. I don't know how much time I can take today, but i got confidence that uh, we got next week to keep working this out because I feel like it's very imperative that you understand what the characteristics of this remnant group of people are like because God's always been about a remnant God's always been about restoration God's always been about an awakening and I think it's about time that the New Testament church of the 21st century realize what it looks like because we hear people talk about it talking about an awakening and a revival and a restoration and all these things and, and unfortunately it's become the monologue of the church It's a monologue. It's a speech. But it has no power. It has no grip. It has nothing to to, to substantiate transformation or change in our life. And I was reading these scriptures and it just came alive to me. But God has chosen what? Foolish things. Chosen foolish things to put to shame the wise. And God's chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame those things that are mighty. And, And I look back at the Old Testament. I look at the things God did and what He used he used some foolish things. He needs to preach a sermon. He's going to get a donkey. Come on, how many know that's unconventional? God wants to save a people. And, and rather than, than, than just translating them out of a pending flood, He gives Noah a mandate to build an ark for 120 years. He has to put his hand to a saw and to a hammer and to a nail. And God says, I'll furnish the material. And I'll furnish the blueprint, but you've got to do the work. I'm thinking, God, could you not found him a support group? Was there not a union? Was there not a contractor? Could we have not used the enemies? Does anybody think those thoughts other than me? Could God have not used the enemies to build his own ark? No, he doesn't use his enemies. He doesn't use those who defy him. He finds a man. He finds a remnant. He finds an individual who is loyal and dedicated. And he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take what looks like foolish and bring shame. I'm going to take what looks weak, one man building an ark, and I'm going to bring all the culture to shame. And I said, dear God, how are we ever going to have a reformation or revival if all the church talks about is one person doing it? Because that's the mentality. We want God to do it, or we want a hotshot evangelist to come rolling in, and him be the prophet, and him be the preacher, and him bring the anointing, and we all want to sit back and receive. God didn't give me that word. Here's the word God gave me, and this is what I've got to work over the, out, of, out of, over the next few weeks, is God is individually selecting. Not based on quality, not based on, on expertise, not based on the fact you got through Bible college. God's looking for a remnant of people that he can pull together to make a tapestry of what the church should look like in the last days he's calling black flesh and white flesh and rich and poor. He's calling together men and women who'd have absolutely nothing in common except Jesus Christ. We Some of us couldn't get along outside of the church for nothing because we had different values and we were brought up different ways and things that we're loyal to they're not loyal to. But when you come to the house of God and you come up underneath one banner, it's not a religious banner, it's not a denominational banner it's a cross that hangs between heaven and earth that represents the sacrifice of Christ and we come to that cross and say there we're equal there we're all there we are aligned together with one cause we'll argue over many things disagree about a lot of things some disagree and they've been in the church of disagreement I pastored the first church of disagreement once they couldn't agree on anything and wanted to fight over everything over the color of the carpet, the color of the walls. Whether the song should be fast or the song should be slow. And nobody went to that church, obviously. But I did. And, and, and in fact, I didn't just go to it, I pastored it. Pity. You can't, didn't, you can't get anything done. Because we don't understand that God is selecting uniquely from people just like you and I. We're average, yes, until we came to Christ. There's not an average person in this room. There's not an average person in this room. There's not an average person in this room. You may have been told you're average. You may have been an average student. You may have an average credit score. You may not be able to buy a house because your credit score. You may not have enough education to be able to do your, your, uh, your checking account efficiently. But i got news for you. That doesn't disqualify you. You may not be able to see straight because you have a malady in your eye. You may have physical infirmities, but that doesn't... Oh, I wish I had somebody. That does not disqualify you. You may say, but, but I came from a family of divorce and I, I came out of a bad situation. Yes, but you've been to the cross. And to come to the cross changes everything. Least likely to succeed are some of us. Voted the least likely to succeed. Some of us weren't even noticed. I'm talking to somebody, you weren't even noticed. You went through your whole young life and nobody noticed you. And you became an adult and went to college and nobody noticed you. You got saved and nobody still notices you. You come to Five Stones Church every Sunday morning and nobody notices you. And it looks as if nobody cares. The enemy whispers, I wish I was talking to somebody. The enemy whispers in your ears, You're not valuable. It's just like it was when you were in elementary school. In high school, nobody cares. You could miss four Sundays and nobody would notice. And the enemy lies and he tells you lies. And before long, you're sitting at home in a stupor of self-pity. And then you happen to come one Sunday morning and there's a sound in the pulpit and you're going, wait a minute, that's, that's a little aggressive and a little intrusive. And you hear a voice from the pulpit that says, wait a minute, you're not average. You're not status quo. Your value is greater than you ever imagined. You say, well, what does that mean? I'm here to tell you, God is releasing an anointing on a remnant, a chosen, a selected people. And it's not the most talented. It's not the most gifted. He's bringing a remnant of pieces But see, most of our culture today to choose from has been pieced together. Because they've been destroyed by what? Divorce. Financial calamities. Physical infirmities. All these things have have fragmented us. And God says, that's all right, I'm going to take the pieces and make me something beautiful. Just so that I can show the world that what looks like weak, I can make strong. So my thought is this. Where... Well, maybe not where. How do I get you to believe that God wants to use you? Can I preach a sermon to get you to believe that God wants to use you and select you and that you have been chosen? Do I possess a a quality of excellence in, in communication that can motivate you? whether I preach eloquently or not, won't motivate you. I can scream until the paint peels off the walls. But until you realize God has a call for you to come out of where you are and be a part of a remnant, you'll never be a part of it. Is anybody thinking yet? See, you ought to be thinking, Pastor, are you talking to me? Pretty good possibility of such. Because I think there is a, a call going out that is resonating with the hearts of people that says, wait a minute, this can't be all that church is. Is, is this all church is? Is me is me coming and singing a few songs and, and going through some mechanics and going home and not living a transformed life? Is that all this is? Because if it is, I would choose to lay on the couch and have a TV preacher preach. Isn't there more to this? Surely there's more to this than just gathering on a Sunday, is there not? Because if all we're doing is gathering on Sunday morning, I resign. I resign. Not for me. I don't want to go to church and just go through the mechanics and the routine in order to pacify somebody's religious mentality. There's got to be more. Look over at your neighbor and say, I see more in you. I see more in you. I see more in you. See, some of you don't believe that even though you say it. You believe it for somebody else, but you can't. You believe it for somebody else, but you can't believe it for yourself. You look at somebody and go, "I, I see more for you. And you believe for them, but you can't receive for yourself. Why? Because you don't believe the God factor has enough ability to set you free from the limitations of culture. You've been lied to so long that the power of the gospel doesn't penetrate your heart to believe that God can use you. My fight every Sunday is not the power of God. It's getting you to believe in the power of God. My struggle is not preaching the the life-changing gospel. It's getting you to believe that He can change you with the gospel say, Pastor, it's an easy job to be a pastor. It's like fighting to preach the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. There's no joy. say, all preaching's an easy thing. It's not this part of it that It's the power that it takes through God to punch through every obstacle. This stands in your way. You say, why are you so passionate? Because you're living beneath your privilege. You're living beneath the calling. You're living beneath the mandate. You're living beneath the anointing. And if I don't say something, you will die with less than what God promised. And you may say that's acceptable, but as long as I've got a Bible and a microphone and breath in these weary lungs, I'm going to cry out, there must be a remnant that arises. You've got to believe God wants to use you. How long can you hide in a wine press, saying, God, not. How long can you go to church and deny God wants to use you? How long are you going to live according to the merits of your own success without acknowledging God wants to anoint and use you? God forbid. God forbid that we continue to go to church to mentally ascend to a place of understanding without having godly application. Did anybody hear what I just said? Stop going to church to mentally ascend to understanding. Most of you have been in church long enough, you've heard every sermon that could be preached. From greater men than the man that stands before you. But if there's no application and obedience and no transformation, you're just a consumer. God forbid there'll never be an awakening in America if all we do is become the consuming generation of the church. How long, how long, how long, how long are you going to have me preach? Can be a consumer without applying. Because I know something about God. God says, listen, if you're not going to apply what I've taught you, I'll stop teaching you. I've got educators in this room. Because what happens is is if you're no longer receiving from the educational system and you're not growing and you're not getting the marks or the grades of development, then we've got to have a new plan for you. We need to get you in a new pro. What is God's alternative program? Oh, let me help you. Listen, this is called an off-ramp. Here's how God teaches when you refuse to grow in the environment of His anointing and you refuse to develop and answer your call and be a part of a remnant, here's what He does. He takes you what we call in, in the earth a school of hard knocks. He educates you with pain. Trial. Oh, they nobody up in here at all going to talk about that. How many found out when you disobey God, rebel against God, Turn your back against God. How does that work out for you? Do you not find yourself with troubles and trials and peril and pain? And who do you blame? G-O-D. God. God, why have you forsaken me? God, do you not care about me? Go back into victimization. You go into victimization because you didn't receive an anointing to be a remnant believer. Come on, this is a revelation right here. And I, I, I'll work on this some more tomorrow. Or not tomorrow, next Monday, whatever, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whenever you want to come back to church, I don't care. I got it in my here. here. I just got to get it out. The reason many don't believe that God wants to use them is because they become hardened to the anointing That takes what's weak and makes it strong. You know how many times I've talked myself out of doing ministry? Because I'm not in it for my health or money. You look at my bank account. It's obvious. Oh, Pastor, you got it made. You're right. I go to work just like you do. I told somebody yesterday, they said, what you working for? I said, because I'm going to preach the gospel for free. Well, I told them last night, because I was working last night. And they said, well, what are you doing? I said, because they know I'm in ministry. They said, what are you doing? I said, I'm working. Why are you working? Your church don't want to take care of you? I said, it's not about that. I ought to be able to preach for free. At least that way nobody can control me. You're going to tell me what to preach if I'm worried about my paycheck, then you can control me. Oops. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Whoops! My wife's gotten nervous right there. She's like, oh, what is now? <laughs> "Remnants." A whole different mentality. Do you understand that? I know I've kept you longer than I wanted to this morning, and, and I apologize because there's no way I can possibly deposit what's in me into you in a short period of time. I'm I I don't know if you understand this or not, but I am absolutely full of this word. In fact, so full I, I really need multiple services to get it because there's a remnant coming up but you've got to understand the characteristics of a remnant or you're never going to be able to be a part of it and the shame would be that you've not been informed so that you can participate the shame would be you just go to church and go through the motions and the mechanics and you're happy with that and possibly go to heaven i I want to go to heaven but i want to raise some standards before i go I love to go to heaven, but I want my kids to know how to do what's right and do it all the time. I want to go to heaven, but I want to make sure you know how to carry it on if I pass on. I want you to have a standard and a lifestyle and a virtue that is worthy of imitation. How can you have that unless you become a part of a remnant? Okay, let me put this together. We're going to close. Just smile at me. Y'all look sad. Y'all processing? Was this too heavy? Y'all right with this? What are you talking about, Pastor? Let's, let's break it down. What am I talking about? I'm talking about God taking what you think's not quality and Him turning it into a tapestry of beauty. I'm talking about God taking your dysfunction and lining it up with somebody else and making it a beautiful picture of His glory and anointing. I'm looking at the church being more than just a gathering of people that show up every Sunday and go through the motions and mechanics. I want to show up and say, Lord, teach me something I've never learned before. Challenge me like I've never been challenged before. Help me to grow into new levels. That's my desire. See, I want to show up here and preach a gospel that challenges you. I don't want you to be comfortable. I want you to think about, God, are you calling me? I want you to leave today. and go, God, are you calling me to new standards? Are you calling me to be a part of a remnant? Are you calling me out of my wine press? Are you calling me to serve? Am I a Noah? Am I a David with a vision for the future? Am I a Solomon who pick up the vision of, of my father and carry it on? Am I an Esther who's going to save my people? Am I that individual? Am I the Apostle Paul that you're going to change my life, Lord, and you're going to change me so radically that I'm going to preach the gospel to the Jews and the Gentiles? Everything God ever did, he used people. Talk to me except for the donkey, I know. Let's just safe to say it, 99.9% of the time, every time God wanted to do something, he chose a person. Did he choose the most successful? Did he did he choose the most eloquent, the most talented? No. Because what God was looking for was a heart that understood that God could take what didn't seem to mean much and turn it into an awful lot. Stand with me in this room, if you don't mind, please. I appreciate your faithfulness this morning. I know that we have. and so let's turn to the New Testament. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. I, I've been speaking to you uh, last week, or last two weeks, uh, dealing with a thought. And it goes back to where I believe God has us as a congregation dealing with an awakening and a restoration and a movement of God. And, and last week, if you'll remember, I think we established that God will use an individual to create something big. You need a refresher on last week. Last week we were in Isaiah chapter 4 and we were talking about God's plan of reformation and God's plan of renewal and how He'll take individuals and uh, give them a vision and they will launch out and accomplish great things for God. When God needed to build an ark, He found a Noah. When God wanted to build a temple, He gave a vision to David. When David was unable to complete it, David was able to transfer it to Solomon. Solomon was able to complete the temple. When the temple was destroyed and needed to be rebuilt, God found a Zerubbabel. When, when, When God wanted to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, He found a Nehemiah. God's always been able to raise up an individual to do something great. Can I tell you what I see in this room? I see individuals who can do great things for God. I do not see weak people. I do not see defeated people. I don't see confused people. I don't see dysfunctional people. I see people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do great and mighty things. Now, until you can begin to see yourself as a mighty vessel of God, you're going to continue to hide in the wine press of your life and never step into your destiny. I don't want you to go to church. I want you to become the church. I want you to function as the church. I want you to live and breathe as a living organism of the power of a resurrected Christ. The shame would be for you to live your life on an ash heap of mediocrity because that's the standard that has been portrayed to you by the church. Don't let that set the standard. Raise the bar. Be greater than you've ever been. Now, to be greater than you've ever been, you have to accept a role that is contrary to culture. Does that make sense to you? Because culture doesn't want anybody to be really advert and and out there and aggressive and pursuing. They would rather you to be a conformist. We're never going to make a difference in America as long as we conform to the standards of culture. Somewhere we're going to have to swim upstream. Somewhere we're going to have to speak up when everybody else is quiet. Somewhere we're going to have to be aggressive when everyone else is passive. Does that make sense? What am I saying? I'm saying neutrality is not the standard for ministry. I'm not neutral because neutral means I can slide forward or I can slide backward based on pressing conditions. I have a focus. I'm resolute. I'm purpose-driven, and so are some of you. And the rest of you are going to line up with that because it's time to move. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll try not to be very long today because you've got stuff to do. But the dictionary defines a remnant as a small piece. In everyday life, I've learned with my wife dealing with sewing projects, remnants means there's a small piece of material left that's not large enough to accomplish the whole thing, but it's too big to throw away. Does that make sense? As a contractor, there are remnant materials that are left over after a construction project, and, and although they're not big enough to be the totality of something, they are worthy to save until you can get enough until you can get enough of them to do something with them. My father been in construction for 30 years. And if you've ever been in a contractor's barn. He had a 4,000 square foot barn packed full of what most people would throw away. But if you ask him, if you happen to need a three foot long two by six, he said, yes, son, over there, third rack over, up about two rows. And sure enough, once you cipher through his stacking, you could find exactly what you needed in multiple pieces of it. Why? Because most of us that have dealt with construction or sewing projects have the mentality it may be small, but it can still be significant. Can I tell you what the Holy Ghost is trying to say in this house? You may be small, but you're significant. You may not have it all together, but you're significant. You may have been through some dysfunction, but you're significant. Why? Because God can bring a remnant and put it with another piece of remnant and make something so beautiful that it's tapestry in the eyes of God. I think somewhere we've got to get to the place where we believe God is the master of putting the tapestry together and He can take these little pieces that have been discarded by culture. Because some of you in this room were not accepted by culture. Some of you have not been accepted by your own family. Some have been kicked out and ostracized and pushed to the curb and said you're not good enough and you're not successful enough and you're not educated enough. i got news for you. My God and your God is a God of reconciliation and He's a God of the restorer and He'll take what's been kicked to the curb and put it to the rest of us and He'll make something beautiful. Hallelujah. I'm not what I used to be, glory. But I know He's still working on me. Why? Because God's always had a remnant. Sixty-five times. Let me work this out, okay? Sixty-five times in Scripture God makes reference to the remnant in history. Sixty-five times you say that's not all that significant. But every time God began to, to recreate and rebirth and awaken, He always had a remnant. He always had somebody that seemed discarded. And he'd raise them up out of that ash heap and he would position them and put a drive in them and a mandate on them. And they would come out of some place that nobody thought they belonged to come out of. And they'd come out being a voice and they'd be anointed and they'd be used of God. I got news for you. Some people have been overlooked your whole life. You've been overlooked, you've been discarded, you've not been welcomed. i got news for you. There's an anointing coming in the last days that's going to raise up people out of ash heaps and bring them to the place of power, and he's going to use you like you've never dreamed. You've got to start seeing yourself as God sees you and not see yourself as your mama, your daddy, and your grandmama said you were. I need to read something or I'm going to get hijacked. Ooh, Glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to read one verse of Scripture. God's going to do big things. One verse of Scripture, verse 27. Do you see it? Chapter 1, verse 1. Verse 27, are you there? What's it say? But, uh uh-huh, but God. Can I preach from there? (laughs) But God. But God what? That's all you need to know. Huh? That's all you need to know. But God. But God what? Chose. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. But God. You know what makes you and I great? God. You know what makes us different than culture? God. You want You, you know what makes me happy? God. Because everything else is fleeting. Everything else is temporal. Everything else is nothing that is substantial but God. And when you look at your life, and I look at mine, and I look at the rearview mirror, and I see my past, I realize had it not been for God, I certainly wouldn't be where I am. And I certainly can't become a voice of reformation until I understand God's at work. I don't know how much time I can take today, but i got confidence that uh, we got next week. To keep working this out. Because I feel like it's very imperative that you understand what the characteristics of this remnant group of people are like. Because God's always been about a remnant. God's always been about restoration. God's always been about an awakening. And I think it's about time that the New Testament church of the 21st century realize what it looks like. Because we hear people talk about it. Talking about an awakening and a revival and a restoration and all these things. And, and unfortunately, it's become the monologue of the church. It's a monologue. It's a speech. But it has no power. It has no grip. It has nothing to to, to substantiate transformation or change in our life. And I was reading these scriptures and it just came alive to me. But God has chosen what? Foolish things. Chosen foolish things to put to shame the wise. And God's chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame those things that are mighty. And, And I look back at the Old Testament. I look at the things God did and what He used he used some foolish things. He needs to preach a sermon. He's going to get a donkey. Come on, how many know that's unconventional? God wants to save a people. And, and rather than, than, than just translating them out of a pending flood, He gives Noah a mandate to build an ark for 120 years. He has to put his hand to a saw and to a hammer and to a nail. And God says, I'll furnish the material. And I'll furnish the blueprint, but you've got to do the work. I'm thinking, God, could you not found him a support group? Was there not a union? Was there not a contractorship? Could we have not used the enemies? Does anybody think those thoughts other than me? Could God have not used the enemies to build his own ark? No, he doesn't use his enemies. He doesn't use those who defy him. He finds a man. He finds a remnant. He finds an individual who is loyal and dedicated. And he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take what looks like foolish and bring shame. I'm going to take what looks weak, one man building an ark, and I'm going to bring all the culture to shame. I said, dear God, How are we ever going to have a reformation or revival if all the church talks about is one person doing it? Because that's the mentality. We want God to do it, or we want a hotshot evangelist to come rolling in, and him be the prophet, and him be the preacher.